This is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hello, everybody, from uh, frigid Iowa. And, you know, I used to think I knew what the word frigid meant. Uh, this is whole nother level frigid. We're here for the Iowa caucuses. It's and nasty. It, they're, they're on Monday, and the high temperature, the hottest it's going to be, is negative seven. You can't say the hottest when the That's hottest is That's the warmest it's going seven. to be is negative seven. It's insane. It's gross. You can't see the layers we're wearing. Yeah, uh, and leading into that, and I did get boots today, by the way. I showed up to this place in tennis shoes. And a pair okay. of New Balance, and it there's a blizzard. Seriously, there's a blizzard warning, and he has New Balance. Well, my, my boots were supposed to go into my bag, and they didn't, and uh, so I have boots, and I feel bulletproof now uh, that I've got these waterproof boots on. But it is no joke, we have a blizzard blowing right outside where we are here at the Iowa Events Center in downtown Des Moines. Uh, and I'm not kidding you, you just see snow blowing sideways outside right now. It is nasty. But people here are hardy and they're used to this sort of right. thing. This will be the coldest caucuses they have ever had here though, by mm. far. Mm. So we didn't anticipate being on a landing, on a fourth floor landing outside of a ballroom here. We, we tried to be at the uh, one of the local places called the Hessen House. It's a beer garden here where we were in 2020. Uh, we, closed. Did a, we did a backup place. Closed. Everything's closed because of the blizzard here. So it's, uh, it, it's fascinating how these folks who are used to it are really kind of paralyzed by it right now. Yeah, uh, and, and so you know we opted for, well, let's just stop at the Hy-Vee, which is a renowned convenience store that you find all over Iowa. Th that's one of them. What, there's another one too that's kind of popular. I don't know. I just know that the Hy-Vee also has liquor and beer, and so we had to choose a beer selection because this podcast right. includes that. And usually we do Texas beers. We've picked all Iowa beers this time around. So we can't vouch for these. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to, the first one I picked up here, I'm having the Lion Bridge Brewing Company somewhere here in Iowa. I don't know where. And it's called the Comfy Pants Winter Warmer, just because that sounds good. I picked it for that reason when I got I, it off the shelf, and I'm glad I got it. It is a oh. cozy, malty, crisp embrace, it says. I can use that. I uh, Yeah, I, I haven't seen these. Tico time. Well, you just, look, um, I'd say just yeah, pick one and I'm just going to grab one here. What are so, you having? This is a Bohemian Premium Lager. It's from Cedar Rapids. Okay. And uh, we have a very special guest. We have a fun guest. Today. I can't, I'm excited about this because she's been here for a half a minute. She's been through two blizzards here Jeez. already. Just in this cycle. Yes, in the last week. <laughs> Her name is Avery Harper. She is the deputy political director for ABC News. Uh, Avery, uh, we, we, we brought two six packs here and we asked you, we, you know, it's always optional uh, if somebody wants to have one. And, and what'd you tell us? Listen, it is dry January for me, so I cannot partake. Cheers yeah. to that. Yolitix doesn't honor dry January. <laughs> <laughs> but much respect for that. I will say, though, that when this podcast is done, uh, as we've talked about, I brought some other goodies that you are going to have. I will have. Uh, but explain big, what the goodies are here. You're what are you talking out. about? Okay, here? listen. So they've got this place set up here. You've been here for much longer than we have, Avery. Yes. Uh, second snowstorm since you've been here mm -hmm. for this cycle. And you know, just getting from a hotel that's nearby into the interior of this place on a day like this is tough. It right. is not fun. I swear to you, I burned, I'm not kidding, at least 2,000 calories. Stop it, dude. I was dragging a suitcase of equipment and we, we went through snow drifts that I'm not kidding went up beyond my knees, okay? And you're dragging this stuff through it. And I, the whole time I kept thinking, I must have food. I saw Jethro's <laughs> barbecue. 
And you know what? It's Iowa barbecue. It's not Texas barbecue that I know of, but huge shout out to Jethro's for even being open today right. when a lot of businesses are closed. And I got sandwiches and sides for yes. us all with every kind of sauce they have. And they have like oh, six different yes. sauces. We're doing it. I will I will have some of that. You will partake. Yes, yes, let's, will partake. let's get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast here. Avery, so the, the deputy political director at ABC News, as Jason said, you eat and sleep politics. And here we are starting things off in Iowa, as always. Mm -hmm. The caucuses are two weeks early this year, and the calendar is not being kind to us with the weather outside. <laughs> um, but, but let's talk about what to expect on Monday night. The temperature is going to be terrible. Everyone's wondering, like we are, is that going to impact turnout? Are these rural roads going to be plowed? Can people get out? Well, they want to get out in negative seven right. degrees. Right. Well, listen, we know that islands are used to weather just like this. It's not a strange thing in January to have snow on the ground. Uh, but we know that the caucus is also something where you physically have to be there. You have to be present in that precinct, in that caucus site, in order to have your vote counted. And so the candidates, I think there are Republican uh, party officials who are worried about what this all means for turnout. Th Does, they are worried about it? I think there are folks who are who are talking about uh, whether it means that some of the older folks, particularly those who uh, are going to come out and vote, uh, if they're going to be able to make it out or going to want to make it out to their caucus site. You got to be motivated for your candidate in a case like that. Totally. Uh, my question is also weather related, but you know we're looking specifically at Monday. Like, will people show up? Uh, will they get out in this? Uh, let's talk about today. I mean, uh, you know, these candidates have—they're going down to the wire here, at least for second place anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's events that have had to be canceled today because of this, because you know they may be able to get somewhere, but can they draw a crowd there on a nasty day like this? Who does this hurt right now if you've got to sort of suspend or cut back on your events right now? Because Haley and DeSantis, I mean, they're going at it for that second place finish. Right. This is not even the first day that we've seen campaign events upended by the weather. Earlier this week, there was a blizzard. There were campaign events that were canceled around that. Uh, today, we saw Nikki Haley, uh, instead of holding in-person events because of the blizzard uh, that is taking place across the state, she's holding teletown halls instead. Instead of being face-to-face -face with it's those different. voters, she is trying to make that closing argument uh, via Zoom, right? That's hard. Uh, and that's a difficult thing to, to do, to, to try and connect with folks and try to get those last-minute votes uh, without being in person. And we saw uh, Ron DeSantis, he had an event earlier today uh, with the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds. Uh, that event was well attended. He still pushed through. Despite, yeah, despite the weather that's outside. But he also had to cancel some other events today as well because of the weather. Does that say he's hungrier right now then? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, some might say more of, desperate, right? At least some of the average of polls show that he's been losing some momentum here at the right. very end when it matters the most. And Nikki Haley has been bumping up. When you look at our, our 538 partners and you look at the average, of polls that they have. Uh, we've seen Nikki Haley overtake Ron DeSantis uh, in terms of polls here in Iowa. Still both of them very far behind former President Trump. Uh, I think there's a lot of Iowans who are out there who still really support uh, former President Trump, but both of them are in this sort of race for second place and we'll see what happens on Monday. You know, let's talk about why that's so important, this race for second place. If Nikki Haley finishes second here, that will propel her to go into New Hampshire, which is what, next weekend? And she's virtually tied up there, I think, with some of the last polls I saw with Donald Trump. Does this, if she can finish second here on Monday night, 
Does this mean she has a path, albeit a very slim one, to victory to be the nominee? Listen, her campaign would argue even if she finishes in third place, right, that she is also uh, positioned for a bounce going into New Hampshire. I think also what uh, Nikki Haley has done is uh, setting very uh, low expectations or no expectations at all when it comes to her performance here in Iowa. Uh, if she comes in third place behind uh, Ron DeSantis, she's performing at expectations. There were no expectations that she was going to come in in second place. If she overperforms, if she beats Ron DeSantis, that could give her a bump. And, and if DeSantis finishes third, is he done? He could be. We know that his campaign is adamant that they are uh, going to continue, uh, but we know that he has invested a lot of time and money and effort here in the state of Iowa. Uh, he is someone who has traveled to all 99 counties of the state, has really pushed the pavement, talking to voters across the state. He has establishment support from the Iowa governor, from evangelical leaders in the state. And so the outlook for him, if he does not perform well here, is no better in New Hampshire. It's actually much worse for him. He is trailing behind both a former President Trump and Nikki Haley when you look at polling there. When you go all in like that, if you can't pull off a, even a second place finish, that's a, that's a tough thing to rebound from for sure. It's totally difficult for him. And I think also when you think about donor support, mm. right, the folks who are going to be powering his campaign through, uh, lack of confidence could hamper any campaign efforts going forward. Mm -hmm. Momentum is everything. Uh, let's talk about Chris Christie because that was a, you know, sort of a wild card that got thrown out during the week that he, you know, exited the race, did not endorse anybody on his way out either. Uh, you know, he was not doing great in the polls here, but he did have some support. Now everybody's wondering where does that support land? Where does it go? And especially, you know, if he was the anti-Trump candidate, you know, can you assume that none of that support or very little of it would go to Trump. So, you know, now you've got Haley and DeSantis who are neck and neck really fighting for those couple of percentage points, which could be all the difference. Right. There are a lot of folks who think that uh, a sizable number of Chris Christie supporters could go to Nikki Haley. I know Nikki Haley's team is hoping that, that right. that's what exactly what happens. Uh, but if you listen to what Chris Christie said in his, uh, his remarks when he went out, he said, listen, anyone who can't say that former President Trump is unfit to be president of the United States should not be president of the United States themselves. And they haven't done that. Exactly. And they have not done that. And so, yeah, that certainly wasn't a ringing endorsement for uh, Chris, Chris, excuse me, for Nikki Haley or uh, for Ron DeSantis. And so we'll see what happens. I think that it's really interesting, the political dynamics in the state of New Hampshire versus Iowa. Here, uh, there's just Republicans who can participate in a caucus. Uh, in New Hampshire, it's an open primary, so we're going to see not only Republicans, but also independents. And we know Nikki Haley does really well with independents there. And Nikki Haley has said, though, that, that she calls Donald Trump a, a chaos and an agent of, agent of chaos, mm -hmm. I think is what, what she says. That, that is getting some traction, though. I, I just, I, I don't know how big the, the never Trump faction of the GOP is now and whether that's enough to cost Trump the nomination or the presidency if he gets to November. Right. Chris Christie occupied a very specific lane in this sure. in this uh, uh, this this race. And when you look, think about a place like New Hampshire, there are a sizable number of voters who identified with that. Uh, but generally, that's not where most of this current Republican Party is. It is generally unpopular in this current Republican Party to be anti-Trump. And I think that's the line that both DeSantis and Haley have tried to walk. Uh, I don't anticipate, uh, as this field continues to narrow, that a Nikki Haley is going to take sharper aim at former President You Trump. don't think she will? No, I do not think that she is going to. Uh, she also always says when she's on the campaign trail that folks want me to, uh, you know, to take direct aim at him. She's gotten questions from voters on 
on this. Uh, but she's walking a fine line. She does not want to alienate those Trump supporters who could come her way at some point. I also think it's really interesting that she has not shot down uh, the question about if she would serve as former President Trump v as VP if he were to become the nominee. And, and that's something that's at the back of a lot of people's minds. Well, well, Trump said the other night on that, I think, Fox News town hall that he'd already selected his VP. Just to take a left turn in the podcast here, who would that be? Because everyone's talking about maybe the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, might be one of those people because he's a quieter guy and wouldn't occupy as much spotlight as, as Trump would require, Trump wants, if he's a nominee. Any yeah. idea? Who, who do you think, Avery? Listen, well, Who's who, it going to be, Avery? Uh, listen, first of all, it remains to be seen if he actually has that pick, right? The, right you yeah. talk to folks in the campaign, they're saying, listen, it's very early to be making a pick like that. Uh, but there are lots of talk about folks like uh, Elise Stefanik is definitely a name that you hear. Christy Noem is a name that you hear uh, when you talk about this potential uh, VP uh, nominee. Uh, Greg, Greg Abbott could be somebody that he could be considered. Uh, we know that he's been making splashes nationally in, in terms of uh, conservative agenda items, particularly around the border. Uh, and so we'll just have to see what happens. Again, he's not the nominee, right? And right. so it is a very early uh, time. Yes, yeah, a very early point to have a conversation like that. And we, we shouldn't appoint him or, you know, or crown him the nominee before uh, voters have to say. Yeah, there's a long way to go, not to mention the fact that there's a, a lot of courtroom action that will play out uh, in these months ahead. And who knows what that's going to do to this. Um, I, I want to talk about this. The last time we were here, this time, you know, the game is all about, you know, who's it going to be on the Republican side? Uh, the last time we were here, it was the opposite. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, who, who's going to pull it out on the Democrat side? Uh, we were doing this podcast four years ago, uh, you know, on, on the night of wondering, is it going to be Buttigieg uh, or is it going to be Sanders? Mm -hmm. uh, and it turned out that neither one of those ended up being the nominee. And here we find ourselves now more than seven weeks away from Super Tuesday when Texas will be headed to the polls for the primaries. Uh, and we'll get the leftovers of what comes before us because there will be people who drop out uh, right. after this and the next contest. They're not great at picking the winner here in Iowa. I mean, they pick a winner, but a lot of times it doesn't but become the nominee. It's been 20 years since that's happened, right? 19, right. ABC did a great job on this. I love how you all laid this out. 1980, 2008, 2012, and 2016, the GOP winner in Iowa was not the eventual nominee. 92, 2020, the Democratic winner was not the nominee. Mm -hmm. And in 98, or 88 rather, neither the Democrat nor the GOP winner in Iowa turned out to be the nominee. And over the years since 1972, only three presidents won the Iowa caucuses when the races were contested and went on to become president. Carter in 76, Obama in 2008, and George W. Bush in 2000. They don't choose the winner uh, here a lot of times, but they do cull the field, and that's what mm -hmm. it's all about here. I mean, there's almost like there's some truth to what Nikki Haley said about mm -hmm. uh, Iowa voters having their first say and New Hampshire voters sort of correcting it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, She's listen. getting slammed on the <laughs> air for that already. Here I'm too. sure. I'm sure she is. Uh, and, and, you know, part of that is really uh, the fuel behind the DeSantis campaign uh, pushing those comments, talking about those comments. Right. I, I, I don't necessarily think it's going to have a super large impact on what we see happen on Monday night. Um, but there is this attitude. Uh, and if you look at the, the data, it kind of 
speaks for itself that, uh, you know, Iowa voters, uh, they go first. And so we make a really big deal about it. And I, too, am really excited to see exactly what happens on Monday night, because this is the first time we're going to hear from the voters. We can talk about polls all we want to, but when the results come in, uh, that is when we really get to hear what Americans are, are thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we know that the Iowa electorate is a little bit different than uh, other parts of the country, but it's the first time we get to hear it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, that's why the Democrats left. They've been complaining for years that, you know, Iowa's not reflective of our party. It's, it's, it's white and some Hispanic, but it's not that reflective of how many people largely are in our, our, our party. Yeah. It is largely yes. rural and most Democrats are in, are in urban areas. Um, where will you be on election night? I'll be here in the here following center. watching all this? Yes, what, I will. What are you going to be watching for, Avery? I'm interested to see how uh, Nikki Haley performs, right? Mm -hmm. I want to see if she's going to overperform expectations. I think there's a lot of excitement around her campaign. What, I've been what, what would that look like, though? I think it looks like beating Ron DeSantis here mm -hmm. in Iowa. So right? if she just if she beats I think, him, then I think if she beats Ron DeSantis here in Iowa, that gives her a bounce. That that creates lots of excitement uh, around her campaign heading into a state where she's already doing well, uh, where she has the support of the governor, uh, where she has the support of independents who are going to make a big difference in that primary contest. And so it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens. So and can she be the decisive second place then? Yeah. That's also what I was about to say, is how far behind Trump does she come in? Mm. Or, or anybody, who, who, whoever is second place, how far behind Trump are they? Uh, we know there are these really large expectations for him to uh, come in, you know, over, he's, he's over 30 points ahead when you look at recent polls. Uh, but we'll see what actually happens on uh, caucus night. Again, I think turnout is the key. Uh, we know that the Trump campaign has been very, uh, you know, sure to warn their supporters that, look, do not get complacent. Do not feel like because we are so far ahead in the polls that you don't have to come out on caucus night. And so if those folks stay home because they think, listen, you know, it's snowy outside, there's ice on the road. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, we already know that Trump has it. Yeah. That could really affect how things turn out. On my but I, I don't re I don't recall. And maybe this happened, but I don't recall the Trump campaign ever having to say that before because they're the supporters for Trump show up without being asked. But the fact that the Trump campaign had to say that, don't be complacent, act like we're, we're uh, running behind, does that suggest anything to you? Listen, I think... They're concerned about the weather, maybe? Or? Uh, well, this was before, before right, this any was of before the snow. That, yeah. I mean, Trump himself said to his supporters, you, you got to come out and caucus. And I think they're just learning from the mistakes of the past. I think after uh, 2020, uh, when there were lots of concerns about early voting mm. uh, and mail-in voting, and that discouraged Republicans from uh, yeah. participating in those methods of voting, that hurt. Uh, Trump and it hurt Republicans down the ballot. And so I think that they're trying to learn from the past and make sure that every avenue that their voters can have, that they take advantage I of. I know this is going to sound crazy, but uh, could there also be some Trump ego uh, in this? Because <laughs> if we look back to 2016, he was ahead in the polls going into Iowa and Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas, right. ended up winning by four points. And uh, you know, Trump came out after that and said, you know, uh, the polls were, uh, were uh, Ted Cruz uh, stole it. Uh, there was fraud. This was illegal. Does, does that he, sound familiar? He said that in 16? <laughs> he said that in 16. I, I was with Cruz that night. I don't recollect that. After the caucuses, wow. uh, he said, you know, this was stolen. There was fraud. This was illegally stolen, et cetera, uh, because he lost that night. Um, oh. So, you know, we are looking to see, you know, do the polls bear out this time? Does he run up that kind of margin? And maybe that's another reason why he's getting in there and saying, 
to his supporters, hey, make sure you show up. I don't want to underperform what my polls have been saying. Listen, we know former President Trump does not like to lose, right? And right. so uh, I think it turned out well for him in 2016, regardless of, of the fact that Ted Cruz won here in Iowa. He ended up becoming the president. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he is under a lot of pressure this cycle, right, to come out on top, uh, to say that he is still the person that Republicans really, really want to win mm -hmm. and really support. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm -hmm. so we talked about the race for second place. We talked about the weather. What are the other storylines people are talking about here in Iowa? I think folks are really passionate about the economy. I think people are interested in what these candidates have to say about the cost of living, about things like inflation. Uh, you know, it's the regular kitchen table uh, sort of issues that folks are dealing with every single day uh, that they want to hear from these candidates on. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you covered this the last time through in 2020, which was just such an extraordinary mm -hmm. cycle. Uh, and you covered it, you know, caucuses, primaries, all the way through the general. And then yeah, beyond the general, of course, it, it seems like this one never ended. You know, we just, we <laughs> went from 2020 all the way into 2024, feeling like the campaign season was still underway. Um, do you notice something different this time when you talk to voters, when you're out there in the electorate? I think, you know, Obviously, a lot of us have picked up on the polarization mm -hmm. has increased. Even intra-party polarization mm -hmm. has increased. What are you sensing from voters as you sort of take that pulse? Well, I think there's dissatisfaction uh, from voters on both sides of the aisle, mm -hmm. um, particularly with uh, former President Trump, also with President Biden. Uh, and so uh, should those be the, the, the nominees? Should Trump be the, the GOP nominee? And we have a rematch of 2020. Um, I'm interested to see how apathy affects how folks turn out mm. uh, because folks are not necessarily super enthusiastic about uh, the choices that they have. I think that's also going to create a, a dynamic where we're paying more attention to third party candidates mm. too uh, because folks are going to be looking for another place to go or they're just going to stay at home, right? Mm. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, come uh, the general election how this, this race shapes out. Because you might hate the candidate on the other side, but do you like your candidate enough to leave home on election day and mm -hmm. actually go vote, or do you just sit it out and go, I'm, I'm done with all of it? And for President Biden particularly, I think that is, uh, that's the risk, right? When you talk about certain demographics, key voting blocks that got him to the White House in the first place. When you talk about black voters, uh, female voters, uh, college-educated voters, are those folks going to turn out for him in the numbers that he needs to be able to be reelected? Uh, that's something that if I was working for the Biden campaign, that would keep me up at night. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you, do you think they will? You know, I don't know. I listen, Black anybody, voters in South Carolina saved Biden yeah, in 2020. Yeah, I, listen, I think there are a lot of things that uh, have been left unfulfilled by the Biden uh, administration, particularly when I look at uh, things like student loan forgiveness, uh, when I look at uh, criminal justice reform. Um, those are things that black voters have not forgotten. Uh, and they're going to be asking a former, excuse me, President Biden about that as he's on the campaign trail. And you wonder, does the Biden campaign, do Democrats in general do anything to try to blunt uh, all of the news that's going to be streaming out of Iowa on Monday night? Because it used to be that, you know, both parties, you know, had this thing going on mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, there was sort of an, an equal coverage there, you know, depending on, you know, which one was the most contested. 
but you know, do they find some some way to get in the news cycle, you know, so that it's not just all about the winner of the Iowa caucuses on the Republican well, side? Vice President Harris will be campaigning, mm-hmm. um, and so she's going to be out on the trail uh, speaking about uh, you know their their agenda. And I, listen, I think at the end of the day, for the Biden campaign, uh, it is really about painting this field with a broad brush. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about uh, making every single one of the candidates, regardless of whether it ends up being Trump or not, uh, that they're all ultra MAGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in turn, using that to try uh, and galvanize their base to turn out for them. Mm-hmm. The other thing we haven't talked about here, because it has nothing to do with the caucuses, but is RFK Jr., this third party mm-hmm. candidate. You kind of mentioned, mentioned that. How likely is, is a third party candidate to, to muddy up the water here? Because a headline I read not too long ago said, this is the rematch that nobody wanted, that mm-hmm. nobody wanted, uh, talking about Biden and Trump. Do you think that RFK Jr. or anyone else can really impact you know this and steal votes away from one of the two? Yeah, I think RFK Jr. is is something uh, that or someone that the Biden campaign could be worried about. Uh, but I also think when you look at a candidate like Cornell West, Cornell West has been doing a lot of campaigning uh, to Muslim, to Arab voters uh, in light of uh, the conflicts uh, in Gaza, and uh, that is those are groups that voted for Biden uh, in in swing states like Michigan, uh, and, and that could have an impact on what happens on election night in November. So uh, we'll see what happens. I I don't think that anyone um, is taking those campaigns uh, and is uh, dismissing the impact that they could have. Uh, Look at Jill Stein in Mm -hmm. 2016. No one has forgotten that. The Democrats have not forgotten that. And so I think they're going to be keeping their eyes on these third-party candidates. All it takes is a tiny percentage to really swing things in some of these swing Mm -hmm. states. RFK Jr., too, he's got to be popping up on Republican radars as well. He could pull votes there, too, just because of his positions on on some of these issues. He he might be appealing to some Republican voters. So it, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. Um, I, I, my last question is this. So you, you went through this whole season <laughs> in 2020. What an extraordinary experience that must have been. You were on the road constantly and, and, and covering this thing all the way through. What keeps you doing this? You know, I could see some people going, you know what? I rode that ride and wow, that was a lot. Uh, I'm going to focus in on something else. What keeps you going in this? What do you what do you get out of this? What do you enjoy? Well, I, I think the first thing is that uh, the reason why I wanted to cover elections is because you get a front row seat to history. You are talking to these candidates every single day. You're asking them the questions that Americans all over the country aren't able to, right? Because it's unlikely that all the folks across the country are going to be up close and personal with these candidates to be able to ask their questions. So that is really important to me, to be able to uh, be the person who can help Americans across the country make this really big decision at the ballot box mm-hmm. that will affect their futures, affect their families' futures. Uh, secondly, you know, 2020 was not a normal campaign cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was traveling right up until the world shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to see what a more normal election okay. cycle uh, might look like. You know, this one is... Uh, is very different from from 2020. Um, the the energy around this primary season is different. The pace of this primary season has been different. I think that's just because of uh, of the fact that former President Trump was a former president and still uh, wields significant influence in this party. Uh, but I'm excited to see what uh, a general election looks like. Uh, it, that's normal. That's one where folks can get out across the country, uh, actually talk to Americans uh, in, in states across the country and communities across the country. And I think that'll be really interesting to see, uh, especially since this is such a pivotal election. Let me end on a Texas question. 
Texans go vote in 50-something days or so. Do you expect that Texans are going to have as many choices as they are in Iowa right now, or do you think it's going to be a pretty slim pickings on the ballot in Texas? I don't think there will be as many candidates on the ballot come Super Tuesday. Mm. Do you think Nikki Haley makes it? She could. Listen, anybody who tells you that uh, that they have a crystal ball about what could happen, uh, they're lying to you. Um, and so you just have to wait and see. I think we've seen crazier things happen <laughs> on mm-hmm. the, the campaign trail. And, and that's why it's really important to watch what happens tomorrow, what happens in New Hampshire next week. And DeSantis, question is whether he is on there as well, but who knows, right? I mean, the question is, is if he's going to be in New Hampshire, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a big Long question. Long before Texas. One, <laughs> Long one before step at a time there. Avery Harper, a deputy political director at ABC News, thank you so much for the insight. Thanks Love having for you having on. Me. And, and we me. should have done this in February, so it wouldn't be dry January, and we could have <laughs> cracked open the six-pack here for well, you. Well, I think what matters most is we're about to have some barbecue. Yes. It's Iowa barbecue. Yes, very Slow down here. Slow down. Again, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Right. It is better than nothing. Yeah. No disrespect to Jethro's. Thank goodness they are open. A lot of places are not. True. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, Always appreciate it. If you are uh, watching us on YouTube, always appreciate you uh, finding us there. And remember to not only download these episodes, subscribe as well. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, because we're staying up late Monday night for a special edition once again, uh, just, you know, because it's tradition. And and we'll see if they get the votes counted in time this time around. Better put some beer in the uh, the snow for that one. And it's the Republicans (laughs) counting votes this time. It's a lot easier, I think, than uh, what happened four years ago with the Democrats. But nevertheless, we'll see you Monday. Okay, y'all, the conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics.